Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to the fifth part of our seven-part series on the Primal Wounds. This is Humiliation. Stay tuned. Hypnosis. Mindfulness. Meditation. Past life progression. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Good morning. <laughs> How are you, Anna? Good morning, Christina. And what a morning it is. Oh man, it's been a morning. Uh, we are we're finally out here in my little Milledgeville compound. Um, Anna's come out here and with a really good night's sleep, right? I slept. No, actually, I didn't. We'll go into that later in the episode. I'll explain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, looking forward to that. I, my humiliation voice just woke me up in the middle of the night, shaming me, shaming me, shaming me. And then after about an hour and a half, I was able to go back to sleep. But I will talk about that later in the episode about the shame. The shame. Okay. AKA yeah. humiliation wound. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, uh, yeah, so we're out here in the Milledgeville compound and we had to get our audio set up for a second. So it's going to sound a little bit different, but I think it still sounds just, hey, I think it's but we're great. in person, you guys. I just want you all out there to know I drove two hours to her farm, even in the age of Zoom, because this episode is worth it for us to do it in person. Exactly. So it's going to be better mm -hmm. for you. It's going to be deeper. It's going to be... Well, I don't know what it's going to be because it hasn't happened yet, but we believe that doing it in person is so much better than Zoom. It is. It is. It's um. Th there's so many levels of frequency that don't come through computers in the same way easily. I think maybe it would be something. It would be something we could evolve to do. But like right now, I can tell you, as like a psychic who can read different energies, like I can still see the person. I can still read it because I've attuned to that. But in most of the time, you can't. Most of the time, you're not seeing all the different levels of a person. Yeah. Um, I just yeah. need to be with you for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, so what is, what's going on in the world? What, what, what's going on with you? Right, well, I guess you're, you've told me what, but you came out here. <laughs> Why don't you tell me? We were talking last night a little bit about omens and signs, and yes. I would love to hear more. Um, so I love this as a psychic counselor, or not a counselor, but like a, a psychic as a psychic coach, I feel like signs and omens, particularly when it comes to numbers that people see and nature things that other people see, like it's, it's kind of one of the things that people feel is their feedback loop to know that they're doing well, right? To know that either right. that they have to pay attention to something or that they're on the right path. And I love it because I feel like it's, it's, it feels like the it's the best way to feel like the earth and God and the exterior world is supporting you. Right. Right. Um, uh, can I give a little example for mm -hmm. someone not familiar with that? Like I had a friend who um, was telling me, this is just last week. She said that she was listening to a podcast talking about numerology and how certain numbers show up in your world to like as omens. And she was like, I wonder if my number is eight, eight, eight. Cause she or eight, eight or something. And cause that's just the number she, she resonates with. She looks up from her car and right in front of her, the license plate was something, something eight, eight, eight while she's listening to that podcast. Mm -hmm. And later on that day, she's like, universe, send me a sign if I should do X, Y, or Z. And she 
went to pay for her food and the food came out to $8.88. So she, you know, she, she texts me telling me all this. And that's just an example of like people who anchor to a number or a sign and then they use it to get confirmation from the universe about a question they may have. Yeah. And I, the thing I love about this is that it's, it's one of those in its most perfect form. If everything is us, right? So if we're like, if we get into the oneness state, right? The fifth dimension, seventh dimension, whatever you want to say. Like if you get to this state in which everything is you, then the, like, it's so easy for little manipulations to happen in the outside world to give you confirmation that you're doing the right thing, right? Because you, you just like, you're like, there's a part of your brain that always knows what time it is. And so we'll always look at the clock at 1111, right? Like there's a part of you that you're basically like, you, but, and you're choosing to activate your brain to have a good feedback whenever yeah. that happens. A good feedback loop. Yeah. Like that, that there's a, so you're creating a behavior pattern of, of looking at the clock when it's saying 1111 or, or 444 for me. Right. And mine's, yeah, mine's 1111. Yours is 444. And so, so that's like, what it does is that, you know, that you're in the thick of the, of the oneness and the fact that your brain is saying, I need the confirmation. Like you're asking for the confirmation to say, am I on the right track? And then the universe is giving it back to you. Um, when it comes to nature stuff, which is what we're going to be talking about in a future episode soon, um, it's another interesting thing, right? Because there's all sorts of patterns and there's all sorts of things and coincidences that you can see. But like when something feels anomalous in nature, like uh, seeing like, you know, four hawks going in a figure eight or something like or, that. But that, you know herd of deer on your yard yeah no something like that when you have a nature moment when you have one you have one of those moments that really makes you feel like the world is bigger that you've been given a gift of seeing something that you normally aren't allowed to see like you're seeing behind the nature curtain it feels like a confirmation and so what i just wanted to say about that though is that there is a another side to omens and prophecies right in the sense that we can become really really reliant on them right and when that happens, it's like, it, it's because we are the feedback loop, if you know what I'm saying, because we drive the ability to see those coincidences and the ability to look outside and see behind that nature curtain, like there are deer in your yard, maybe all the time. And like the fact that your brain is aware of all of these different things that you aren't even aware of, like you're giving yourself a grace to be able to like look out the window at the right time. So when you're not seeing signs, it has a feeling, you have this feeling like, oh, things aren't going well. Or in some cases, it's a self-sabotage thing where you feel like, oh, I'm going to, I'm waiting for a sign that tells me that I'm not supposed to do what I've been doing for the last however long because I'm getting itchy feet. So it's like, or because I, uh, maybe this isn't the right thing for me and I, and I'm not used to committing to things or things like that. And what I think is really, really important to recognize is that the signs and omens come from yourself. And if you know that you have a self-sabotaging cycle within you, like if you have that cycle, like, like we've talked about in previous episodes where I have this self-sabotaging creative cycle, I can't look to outside sources to know my own truth. Like, even if the outside source is me still, right? Like, even if it's the external world, does that make sense? So it's like, by doing that, you're allowing too many outs. You're allowing too much. Um, what can tend to happen is this experience of apophenia, right? Which is the experience of seeing patterns that aren't there. Because our brains are wired for patterns, right? And so, oh, I just got three green lights in a row. That means that I'm supposed to be going to work on time. Or I just got, you know, something that... that the license plate in front of me was 444, so it means the guy that I like is going to call me. Or, you know, just Right, like you can connect anything stuff. in your want. You can connect anything in your mind to this. And I think I want to be like, like, I love omens and prophecies, and I think that they have a very clear and healthy place in our lives to, like, let us know that we are... That, that give us the positive feedback loops that we need in our own life. Whether or not the, the mind generates them because the mind is the universe or the universe generates them or God generates them or whatever, all of those things are important. But you have to make sure that you aren't externalizing 
your truth, like that you aren't externalizing and you're not waiting for a sign, like an external sign to be able to, to go forward with something because actually maybe you're dealing with one of the primary wounds, right? And like, you don't recognize that there are actually other things here that are going, but like your kind of go-to is to look for, for omens. So one of the things that I've told, um, a friend of mine recently, when we were talking about this, is I said, when this happens, and we know this is happening in your life, because it was definitely happening in her life, I was like, you need to be very, very clear that any sign that comes as like a, oh, like we need everything, like pay attention to this, has to be incredibly obvious, right? Like it has to be like, holy shit, like this is the craziest, most amazing coincidence I could ever imagine. Like, look, it's a snake in a in a hawk's tail that's then being like, you know, that's then like under the backdrop of the full moon or something like that. Like it's literally like a one in a million chance of ever seeing something like that. And And what that does is it makes it so that you can still create the opportunity because those opportunities are there for something brilliant to happen and for that external input to happen that is external messaging to happen but you're not using it to fuel patterns that you are trying to possibly grow out of right mm-hmm. and that's the idea to piggyback on that i saw this quote and i think it's so true it said If you're looking for an omen or a sign to make a decision, you've actually already made your decision. You're just looking for the courage to actually make it. I love that. And I think that's true. So if you're the kind, if you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, if I see, you know, three doves today, or, you know, if my lucky number pops up, it means that I need to quit my job. You're already wanting to quit your job. You're just looking for an excuse or confirmation. So just ask yourself maybe when you're you're if you're the kind of person who if you're the kind of person who does these little negotiations with the universe, hey, if I'm supposed to do X, show me Y or if I need to know X, show me Y, whatever. I need to know Z, show me X. <laughs> I need to know B. I need to know B, show me C. Like if you're over here making negotiations with the universe, Maybe don't look outside the universe so much. Look at yourself and be like, why am I asking this question? Why do I need confirmation from the universe? What's behind the question that I'm asking? Because I think if you look deeper into the question that you're even asking, you already know the answer. Yeah. And you're just looking for an excuse to make it to to make the decision. Yep. I completely agree. And also, if it's one of those things, some people use those numbers to say, there's a message waiting for me. It's like a voicemail. Like, ooh, I see 1111 and I see 4440, you know, I have 444. That means there's a message in oh, my voicemail. Can I give a really great example of what happened, of a message I did get with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, or is that going to... Con- no, no, no. Go for it. I hope this doesn't like contradict everything we said. But like, since we started the podcast, I started finding dimes mm. all over the place. I'd be cleaning out my car. There'd be one single dime. I'd be I'd be like doing the laundry. One little dime was left in the laundry machine. I'd be walking down the street. I'd see a dime. I kept seeing dimes everywhere. And I was like, this is important. There is a message here. I don't Mm -hmm. know what the message is, but I'm going to take them. I'm going to start collecting all the dimes I find. So I made a little, I had a little bowl and I started putting the dimes in there. I kid you not. Since we launched this podcast 10 weeks ago, I've collected nine dimes. Okay. That's pretty significant considering I don't normally come across dimes. Coin shortage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Especially since I only thing, use a debit yeah. card. Anyways. Yeah. So fat, I, I was like, there's a message here and I don't know what it is. I'm just going to keep collecting the dimes. Well, I found out what it meant because the universe does talk to us if we listen. But I wasn't negotiating. I was just like, there's a message. I'm going to wait and see what's revealed. Mm-hmm. I was in a patient's home and on her coffee table was a single dime. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, there's the dime again. And we're having a conversation. And she starts to tell me some advice that she was giving me about motherhood. And at the end of what she said, she said, you can take it or leave it, but that's just my 10 cents. And it stopped me right there. And I'm like, there's my message. There's a dime two feet away from us on the coffee table. She just used the phrase, that's my two cents incorrectly. She said, that's just my 10 cents. That, the, the phrase is, that's my two cents. Yeah. She said, that's my 10 cents. Again, the universe is like, exclamation point. Pay attention, pay attention to this. Pay attention. Pay attention. Because she was saying the, the phrase completely wrong, but completely appropriate to the dimes. So when she said, that's just my opinion, that's my 10 cents, take it or leave it, the message was, 
You don't need to worry about others of people's opinions of you. That's what the diamonds were showing me because since we started the podcast, I've been checking our chart rankings. Yes, we've been ranking in the top 200 in the USA and lots of different countries. And I kept looking at the podcast ratings to validate people like our podcast. It's a good podcast. No, the podcast is good because we feel it's good. We don't need external validation. Mm -hmm. And so the 10 cent message was, it doesn't matter what people think of you. Take it or leave it. That's their 10 cents. So that was the message. And since it's happened, I've only found a dime once. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got the message. Because I got the message. Thank you very much, universe. Yeah. and but, th- but that's the whole thing, right? When you get the messages, when you get the, the indications that are like your, I mean, not like anybody has a blinking voicemail light anymore, but you know, like not even a voicemail. Those were answering machine messages (laughs) that's what they were called back there when they actually blinked and you had an answering machine when you feel as if the signs are telling you that you have a message that is again your internal feedback system that says very much like Anna did it in a very very healthy way which is either there's two ways that you can deal with it one is you can say oh my light is blinking I'm going to sit down I'm going to push the button I'm going to listen right if you feel like you're adept at doing that and maybe that's just meditation maybe that's automatic writing So something where you're just like, I'm going to write down whatever comes into my flow of consciousness. Or what I love to do sometimes is I love to, I'm very good at responding to questions. Like my, my psychic ability is very triggered by somebody asking me a question. So I ask myself a question. So I'll be like, Hey, what's my message? And then all of a sudden it'll just be random things. And I'll either be able to say it out loud or I'll be able to write it or type it. And that's how I can actually actively answer my voicemail. The second thing that I can do is I can um, do like what Anna did and just be like, all right, I need this to be incredibly obvious. Yeah, to like tell for me, me what the I kept getting is. the dimes. I'm like, what does it mean? I Googled, I Googled, what does the number 10 mean? You know, it didn't have any significance. I was like, I don't really know what these dimes mean. But universe, if you got a message for me, just let me know and make it clear. And it couldn't have been more clear than her saying, well, that's just my 10 cents. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny. I have to say. I'm going to, I'm going to get like a little bit really even further out here right now. So one of the validation things that I have in my life is tinnitus, tinnitus. Is it tinnitus or tinnitus? I don't know. I always call it uh, the ringing in your ears, right? A lot of people get that, but I also get orbs. At first I thought my vision was failing. (laughs) I seriously did. I was, I because, because I just like, they just, they, they just start floating and they're these really bright pinpoints of light that just like that always are existing like in the periphery of my vision and not like directly in my vision. And so as I was just saying that to y'all, I literally had three orbs that showed up while I was talking about it. So for me, it's like my little form of internal validation that says like, Hey, I I almost feel like it's like catching a glimpse of like what I can imagine the fifth dimension is when you like break through and everything's super bright. And I've had past life regressions where I've, or I don't, I'm going to go ahead and just say it. I'm just going to say it. I've had experiences where I've like gone back in meditation and seen like what it was like to go from the fifth back down to the third and it gets all dark and heavy and it's terrible. So I like always imagine what it's like to go back up, like to kind of come back up into a different level of consciousness. And that's what I always think of the orbs. That's really out there. But I just wanted to say sometimes it's just a really nice validation that you're saying the right thing. So enough Mm -hmm. about omens. Let's get into humiliation. Enough about omens. Let's talk about humiliation. So in Lisa Burbeau's book on the primal wounds, she says that most people don't have the humiliation wound. So for a long time doing my quote unquote self-research for this episode, actually in all of 2020, I thought, well, I don't really have a humiliation wound. And as I probed deeper, I realized that the humiliation wound is actually probably the bottom of the bucket. It is the most common wound that we all have, but it is layers, layers, layers deep below yeah. the surface that we might not even recognize it or see it. Yep. I wanted to give a quote from the Dhammapada. When Gotama the Buddha died, within the few days or hours after his death, they pulled all the people that he had facilitated getting enlightened together. They were called Arhants. He said, they said, let's get all the Arhants together and we're going to make an oral an oral history of everything Buddha said. Let's do it fresh while it's in our mind. So the Dhammapada comes from that. It's the direct teachings of Buddha. So in the Dhammapada, there is a phrase. When Buddha first got enlightened, the very first thing that he said when he got enlightened was, O house builder, you are seen. You shall build no house for me again. 
All your rafters are broken. Your roof tree is destroyed. My mind has reached unconditioned nirvana. The end of craving has been attained. So what does that mean? Buddha says, oh, house builder, you are seen. I, I know who you are. The idea is that in order to take birth again and again and again, something pushes us forward in life. That's karma. Mm -hmm. What is karma? It is the desire to suffer. Okay. Karma is, or we could call it sankara, if you're more familiar with Pali, mm -hmm. the, the desire to suffer. Mm -hmm. And we only take birth to suffer. Maybe this is not making... No, no, we, it does. We, it does. We only take birth to come out of suffering. So when you reach the attainment of nirvana and you're enlightened and you no longer suffer, you're not coming back in this earth, to this earth. They call it the non-returner. Buddha did not come back. After he got enlightened, he didn't come back. Yeah. We keep coming back and back and back. We are propelled forward by our karmas. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you find the householder, meaning you find the person who is building your houses, building your lives, your bodies, your need to live again over and over and over again, when you get to the end of that, yeah, you, yeah. So, so I have a really good example. I have, okay. a, I have a good example of, of, of what this means. Cause I was trying to explain this to somebody the other day and it like, it, it finally, a way of, a way of saying it made a lot of sense. So, you know, like in a, when you, you're in a pool hall, Right. And you're in a pool hall. And I think of karma as cause and effect because momentum and like the movement of the billiard balls when they hit each other is exactly what is happening. Right. Because it's like and just imagine a billiard table like a pool table that's just as big as the universe. And all that's ever happening is these is you're shooting your billiard ball at somebody. It's hitting somebody else. It's causing a cause and effect that is just like perpetuating infinitely. Right. Which is what you can look at it in the macrocosm as well as the microcosm of subatomic particles and the way that they interact, like of, of the way that they, everything has an equal and opposite reaction. So think of life as when, those, when you're in um, one of those pool halls where you have to pay for the next game, like the ball goes into the thing and it sets up the next game. So all of a sudden you have like all of, you know, you have all, uh, oh my God, I can't remember how many billiard balls are at this point, but you have all of them set up waiting for you to like start your next game, right? So basically all your karma is just going back into the holes and it's like, hey, look, ready, ready for you to pay up and do another life. And so what happened when Buddha became enlightened was he watched the billiard balls in his own life hitting each other. And then eventually he stopped reacting. So it was almost like he would watch somebody try and hit his ball. And it wouldn't move. And it wouldn't move. So he never pocketed any balls to be able to create a new game. Right, right. I love that analogy. Well, why do I bring it up in the humiliation wound? The reason being is that the humiliation wound is the most fundamental wound that we all carry because it is, is the womb of shame and it is the wound of guilt. And the mask that you wear with the humiliation wound is the masochist. And what is a masochist? Someone who causes themselves suffering. So... We could say that we take life in order to come out of our suffering. That is basically the goal of life. If you mm -hmm. want to approach it from a Buddhist perspective or an enlightened perspective, the idea of life is to recognize and come out of come out of suffering, and in doing so, you become an enlightened being. Yeah. And what is suffering? One of the things that Anna said earlier, which I think is like one of the things that will unlock this um, while we're describing it, is that she was saying that we all have a desire to suffer. Right. Right. Which to y'all listening, if you're not familiar with this, sounds really kind of out there. Like it's like what? I don't actually desire to suffer. Right. But then then you get into this place where you're like, OK, so when you recognize deep down the self-hatred that we've talked about a lot. Right. Which is this a desire to almost punish yourself continually for whatever reason. Whether it's, like I say in The Course in Miracles, where you're just like projecting your unconscious guilt because you want to get back to oneness or whether it's because of Buddhism and you want to just get rid of all, like whatever it is, you're in this experience of wanting to, of continually roiling in self-hatred. And that is where the desire for, for suffering comes from, right? Is this, this, this continual desire to either out of ignorance or just because you're constantly trying to fill this hole that you feel inside yourself. And so whatever it is, that that feeling of desire to suffer. And suffer is, I mean, 
Right. Well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well Buddha yeah. says that there's three forms of suffering. In the Dhammapada, Buddha says, you know, people will misinterpret it and they'll, he says life is suffering. No, no, no. He doesn't say life is suffering. He says life has suffering in it. There is inevitable suffering in life. The mm-hmm. haves and the have-nots will all experience suffering, whether through old age, birth, death, illness. Like those are four things we cannot escape. But on mm-hmm. top of all of that, there are three fundamental causes of human suffering. One is ignorance which is ignorance of the ignorance of what causes you to suffer. Yep. That's a big one. That's a huge one. Number 2 is craving what you do not have and the third one is not not wanting what you do have. So in a nutshell, those are the three top causes of suffering. And ignorance is a huge one because when we suffer, most of the time it's out of ignorance. Mm-hmm. We're ignorant to why we're suffering. He said this and now I'm upset and I'm suffering and I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. No, he said what he said, whether you want to suffer or not is actually your decision. And the closer, the deeper you do your self-help work, uh, the deeper you self-reflect, the deeper you meditate, the more you go into the self yourself, the more you come to recognize that everything outside of you, it's true. Nothing really outside of you can control how you feel. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you decide if you suffer or not. So when we say you want to suffer, sorry, but you are responsible for your own suffering. You really are. Like it's a hard, it's a, might be a hard truth to swallow, but at the end of the day, people can do what they're going to do and things are going to happen. You ultimately get to decide if you suffer or not. Yep. Yep. And, and I think that's a hard, hard one for a lot of people to swallow because it's so easy to say they caused my suffering. But when you do that, you're just rolling deeper in ignorance. Yep. And that just makes suffering stronger. So there's a mudra and Anna's pointing right now. She was pointing and there's a mudra that my yoga teacher used to teach me, which is when you point at somebody, one point, one finger's pointing at the other person and three fingers are pointing back. Right. Right. And that's the mudra is this understanding that you're like, you did this. And then it's like, oh, actually, there are more fingers pointing back towards me than you. Than you, right. <laughs> so uh, after giving this little this little intro about suffering, I'm going to go a little more into the humiliation mm-hmm. wound itself. So yep. the humiliation wound is all about shame and guilt. It's about lack of freedom, self-imposed rules or externally imposed rules. It's about debt. In some cases, it can even be about obesity, lack of pleasure, Shame for the body, shame for bodily functions, shame for sex, shame about money, like lots of shame, lots of guilt. And there is also this perceived audience, such as the perceived belief that someone outside of you or even inside of you is watching you and judging you, a perceived audience watching you and judging you. And that is what sets us apart from the animals. So animals don't experience deep suffering or depression because they're not sitting around with this invisible audience saying, you could have been a better gorilla you should be a better gorilla. And the gorilla's like, I'm not the gorilla I could be. And then the gorilla is suffering because they're holding themselves to an impossible standard that comes from the, the, the external invisible audience. If we think of it like humans are different than animals because we have this ability to self-reflect, but it's not even self-reflect. We impose an invisible, visible audience. We impose an invisible audience upon ourselves. I think it comes back to a really good analogy is the Bible story of Garden and Eden. Uh, story of the fall from grace and original sin. Yes. If you mm-hmm. want to talk about that, Chris. Yeah. So basically, most of you guys know this story. the The basics of the story is that. Adam and Eve lived in bliss in the Garden of Eden. They had everything that they could possibly want. And then a serpent, which is a representative of wisdom, a serpent came along and convinced Eve to eat an apple, which is why we have so much misogyny in the world. Sorry, sideline. Um, convinced <laughs> Eve to uh, to eat the apple. And then from that, she became aware that she was naked. So she became a shame, external audience, external audience. She became, uh, she became aware that she was and then she obviously convinced Adam to eat the apple as well. Um, yeah, right. Bitch, totally um, (laughs) evil women. Um, and she convinced Adam to eat the apple and then they both realized they were naked and they both felt shame for the first time. So basically first chakra shame survival, they, they questioned their survival and they questioned, they, they, they started to become ashamed. And that was literally the original sin was shame. <laughs> like in the, depending on your interpretation of it's different. And then, you know, you also come into like, just to kind of briefly go out into a lot of mythology that's come around. It's interesting. You said gorilla, 
because there's a great series by Daniel Quinn called Ishmael in which a gorilla tells these humans, basically lectures to these humans oh, for the whole weird. book. I never read it. Yeah, I can't believe you said gorilla. Like, <laughs> there was like, whoa, yeah. okay, so apparently I need to mention that. That talks signs. all- Yes, oh, signs. Signs, ohms. <laughs> little guiding breadcrumbs that you're supposed to talk about this. Basically, Ishmael talks is a gorilla who talks to these um, to this person about how um, the original sin it was the the separation from God it was the original separation from God in the sense of like not like when you had everything that you could possibly want and then you're just like actually I don't trust nature so I don't trust nature anymore to take care of me right like I don't think I'm gonna I'm, I have to store things for the winter. Um, and I have to lock up the food is what he says. He says, you have to lock up the food because you don't trust that nature will take care of you. And so nature in this representative is God. So like, there's a lot of interpretations that say, uh, you know, modern interpretations of the Bible and that original sin that say like, it's a, it comes from a lack of, it comes from shame and it comes from a lack of, of trusting God. Because if you're only Adam and Eve in a garden and all of a sudden you're ashamed of being naked who are you ashamed in front of besides right. each other and God and the animals, right? Like there isn't really that experience. So, um, uh, it's the invisible audience. Yeah. And it's, and it's, um, if you go to his dark materials, which are like the golden compass and that whole series that's on HBO, it's based on a book. They talk about a similar thing in which the original sin is actually repeated in every single person's life when they go through puberty. Because it's when they become ashamed of their nakedness and when they have to hide themselves and when they have to, what I say is they go into the mirror box of life where everything they see is a reflection of what they aren't. Right. And I think a lot of that in middle school, you know, middle school is so hard. It's when you really make that external audience loud. Mm -hmm. Suddenly everything you do is judge word, is, is being judged. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so going back to the humiliation wound, as we spoke in the other episodes, each wound carries a mask. The mask is the way to protect oneself from those feelings. So the mask of the humiliation wound is the masochist. So they they cause their own self-suffering. Self-hatred. Self-hatred. They... Um, they're, they punish themselves, you know, they, yeah. they, they're like, I'm so bad. Let me punish myself. If I punish myself, I don't have to experience so much the guilt. I'm appeasing the guilt God, you know? Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk now about our own experience. That's okay. Okay. I want to talk about our own experiences of shame and guilt and humiliation in our own life. So as I said before, when I went into researching this, this topic, I thought I don't really have a lot of shame and guilt. So, but let's just see, you know, let's just see if I do. And I came to recognize I have shame and guilt in two different ways, or many different ways, but like one hallmark way that I was experiencing shame and guilt was through the inner voice, this inner voice in my head. And it was this inner voice that was critical. And to be totally honest with you, it wasn't till I got on antidepressants that my brain slowed down enough to hear the voice. Even though I'm in meditate, I meditate and I've observed the voice and da 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 da. In my everyday acting, living moments, that voice was just the fucking narrator of my life that I didn't see it as separate from me. But when I was able to slow it down and see it, I noticed that I had this voice in the back of my head. And anytime I fucked up, it was right there telling me, "You fucked up." If I lost my temper with my kids, the voice is saying. You're a bad mom. You could have you could have solved this in problem in a different way. You're such a bad mom. Such a bad mom. Such a shitty mom. Da, da, da. Rolling in that. Rolling in that. What is that? The shame voice. Or say, for example, I'm reading my child a bedtime story, and the shame voice comes in and says, Think of all the times you could have read to your children. You know, reading to your children makes them smarter. Your poor children. Look what you've denied them. You've ruined their brain because you didn't read to them enough. Again, you know. This is ridiculous, but this is the thoughts I'm thinking, rolling in it, rolling in it, rolling in it. So as I started doing this self-research for the episode, I started noticing more and more the critical voice in my head t telling me all these things, all these ways I have failed this invisible audience. This, this voice is like the invisible audience telling me all the ways I failed because I'm not living up to this, this perfect version of me this perfect mother, this perfect wife, this perfect, whatever it is. It was like I had this hierarchy in my, in my brain of this person that I needed to be that I'm, I'm never going to be her. And the voice constantly reminding me, you're ashamed. You're, you should be ashamed. 
you should be guilty. You are not that thing that you strive to be, you know, that, that was a huge wake up call was to see that and that that voice causes so much of my suffering, like 99% of my suffering that my self-inflicted suffering, non-interpersonal is from this fucking voice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get into that more later. So, okay. Number one was the voice. Number two was actually my student loan debt. So in a string of events, again, let's call them omens. My daughter was assigned to watch Cinderella by her acting coach. And we're watching Cinderella together. And at the same time, I'm kind of like rebudgeting my life and looking at how I'm going to pay off my student loans and yada, yada, yada. And I wanted to get a new car and like, can I make it work and yada, yada, yada. And I started rolling in, into my student loan debt. And I started to recognize that I used, I was so ashamed. I did not come from a family that paid for my university. I came into my marriage with enormous medical school debt from a very expensive university. I came into my marriage with that and I felt a lot of shame for it. I was not even aware that I felt the shame and I would manifest it with masochism by being literally being Cinderella in my own home. I would not let myself relax because Shame is a lot about not enjoying, not having pleasure. Like I'd be like, you can't relax unless the house is clean. Just like Cinderella lived in her a beautiful home and was always cooking and cleaning and doing all these things. I did that too. Like I live in a beautiful home and I never felt like it's, I've never felt like it's my home. I feel like a maid in my own home. My husband didn't do that. My kids don't do that. I've done it to myself because of the shame I felt for having student debt. So, and it's interesting from my perspective too, because in the same way that Anna can see my creative self-sabotage, I could see her continual, like literally every single thing that she talked about was, I'm going to do this so I can pay off my debt. And I thought it was so interesting because I was just like, one of these days, Anna is, I don't know how she's going to do it. I know she's going to do it because I, I have ultimate faith in her ability to like recognize her kind of like obsession or her or the thing that is like her kind of like my creative self-sabotage it's like her thing and her thing was all about student debt and how am I going to pay off my student debt and it was such a it was such a like like I always thought of her she's such a business savvy person in the sense that she's like I never I never pay I never put any money into something until it gives me money back and I was like that's so amazing And then right behind that is always, and this is how it's going to pay for my student debt. And I'm just like, we need to get, and as student debt, and there's been so many opportunities in which people should have like, I feel like there's been numerous opportunities over the years for your, your debt to magically go away. And yet it hasn't happened yet. Right. And I'm guessing it's going to happen now. Anyway, go ahead. Well, yeah, well, that's totally a a side note, which is that I'm a great manifester. If I want something, I've been able to manifest it. I have not been able to make a dent in my student loans. Yeah. And why? Because I, it was a gift for me to finally recognize my self shame mm-hmm. and to see the ways that I am tied up in humiliation and that my let my self worth be tied up in debt. And for me, it's student debt. For other people, it might be class. It might be age. It might be beauty. It might be intelligence. It might be sense of humor. It might be ableism. There's so many ways we hold ourselves to impossible standards. Oh, I don't look like a supermodel. There's there's the beauty one. Oh, I am of a low class and there are people of higher classes. That's another one. I am of a higher class, but I feel guilt for being in the higher class when other people are suffering. So I will suffer for that. Like just whenever you have any kind of hierarchy, you freaking create suffering. And as a side note, student loan debt is enormous in the United States. Nearly 45 million borrowers in the United States with nearly $2 trillion of student loan debt is in there. There are so many people stuck in that. And it's not just like the financial burden of debt and making decisions based on debt. There's a lot of self-worth that goes into it too. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of looking at someone who has no debt and being like, wow, especially because you're told that the American dream is put all this money into your college loan, your college loans, and then you're going to come out of it or, and you're going to be great because you're going to get this job that pays off for them. that pays them off easily, but that's a sham. Like ultimately that's a sham these days. And, you know, 
for whatever for whatever reason it's the way that we've we've built things up but i right. won't even get into that but, but we don't even need to get into the debt the, the, we don't even need to get into the student loan debt it could be a beauty it could have been it could have been anything i decided to cause a lot of self-suffering and tit and and tether myself to the shame wound through the student loan debt. It could be for someone else. It could be beauty. It could be body body weight on a scale. It could be intelligence. It could be likability. I mean, there's just so many things you can yeah. do whenever you make a hierarchy. Yep. And so, so do you want me to describe mine now? Yeah. It's yeah. Turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was. I, I have one. I, I'm. I have a very similar voice to what Anna has. I think. The motherhood one in particular is the motherhood and wife one. And just like generally being a bad person is something that I continually shame myself for, especially when I get into like really bad places and I just like get so angry or I get so tired and I don't and I like lose my temper and all that kind of stuff. But the one that I want to talk about, I was driving to go um, meet Anna last night and I realized that there's, there's two ones that I have in particular, but both of them surround privilege. One of them is about white privilege and the other one is about um, economic privilege because I feel the, I feel continually, and I felt this even before anything that's happened in the last couple of years. I think it's just given me access with all the external activity that's happened has given me access to this, but I've always felt that I, it wasn't fair. This, this kind of leads into injustice a lot, but like, it wasn't fair that I was born on third base. What's that mean? Born on third base is like, um, it's a, it's a common white privilege way to describe it, to basically say, um, you think you were born on, you, you think you were, you were born on third base and you think you hit a triple like in baseball. Right. Mm -hmm. But you didn't, you were born on third base. Right. And everybody else is sitting here trying to bat, trying to hit a home, you know, trying to hit a double or a single or anything, even just to get on base. And you're sitting here on third base being like, look at me, I'm on third base. I'm so great. Right. And I used to continually say stuff like, you know, we didn't have anything when I was little or, or which is true. Like, you know, whatever, like I, I didn't get a pair of like soccer shorts, like, come on, let's, let's talk about, you know, like Umbros were really popular when I was a kid. And, and I remember all the other kids, cause I went to a private school that my grandparents paid for because my dad was a single dad and he could only work a certain number of hours a week. And when he got together with my stepmom, when I was 13, like everything changed. We became upper, not upper middle class, but middle, upper middle class, whatever you want to call it. Right. And I never felt comfortable with it. So even now I have had, I've lived on food stamps. I remember at a time when I was living in Indiana and I had and I would get $20 an hour and I would make $150 a day. And it was literally, I could live off $150 a week. Like that's how little I had. And I was living off grid. So we weren't having to pay rent. And we basically lived off of nothing. We lived off of chump, which is what um, this grocery store called all their like damaged goods. We lived off of chump and food stamps and my like $150 a week and like Luke's whatever, my husband's like whatever. I have... I think I purposely put myself into that so that I could feel like I could justify the economic privilege that I had in my life. Like the humiliation was so intense that that's where I had to go with it. And so even now, I like had the most amazing place. Like I absolutely feel so privileged to have this place. And like every single worker who You're comes- Your farm. My, the, yeah. Every single worker who comes out here is just like, this place is so amazing. It's so beautiful. Like everyone's- it's Amazing. It's just like, it's so incredible. And, you know, but it's always, it's so funny. But you're always focusing on- what needs to work, what yeah. needs to be You're fixed. Like, the pool is a mess. The pool is a mess and it's a manufactured home and stuff like that. But all of that is probably and still... And I never wouldn't even notice it's a... I wouldn't even... I didn't even... I had to Google what is a manufactured home because yeah. it's so out of my like... Right. I don't care. Yeah. And I like... And I see all these... I have... I'm surrounded by people who are totally okay with their wealth. They're totally okay with having really nice things. I could never imagine buying a new car. Like I literally am just like... For one thing, I'm like, that's such a waste of money. But like, that's like my dad's like economic management coming in here. But like, I could never, ever imagine having a new car. I could never imagine having a house like my sister's. So I would feel so much like my sister 
has been so good about like, she's just accepted whatever has come into her life. And she's so good at manifesting it. And she knows what she wants. And every single time I like I Lyra had three birthdays at her house. Because I was so ashamed of my house and like how it wasn't decorated and how it wasn't a good space. And I would always use these excuses. It may have just been two, but it was a lot. And I'm so grateful to my sister for hosting those because that was representative of my shame. Like Lyra was going to a school that was in the city where it was like full of it was like a, it was a it was a free pre-K program. But like she was with people who lived in these really rich neighborhoods. And I didn't want like my houses aren't bad, but like I felt so much shame at not having a house that was like my sister's that she was just so generous to have offered up her space so that I didn't have to feel that shame but it was like a self-imposed it was it's just like it was so messed up it's all self-imposed it is and I could go into it forever and I could also go into the whole white privilege thing which I will when I talk later but like yeah I have massive money humiliation shame issues and I'm continually trying to live on nothing or to not have a lot just to make up for whatever I feel like I should be ashamed of. So now the question is, how do we heal the shame wound or the humiliation wound? How do we heal it? And by healing it, we mean forgiving it, bringing insight to it. And I I can't say I healed it and I can't say I'll ever heal it because it is the food that propels me into the next house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is uh, It is the house builder. And until I'm enlightened, I'm going to have shame. And I'm just, I'm okay with that. I recognize as long as I'm in a human body and I am not enlightened and I am tethered to this world, I'm going to have some shame. And that's okay. But I'm going to show you what I'm doing now to, to help it. Okay. Number one is or I should say there's three things. Number one is noticing it. Like just being, be recognizing. Awareness. Awareness. Just mm-hmm. recognizing shame in my life. Recognizing when, what kind of things are happening. And as a result of shame, like the student debt and, you know, motherhood, whatever. I Just recognizing it. That's a big, huge one. Number two is I bought a book a cognitive behavioral therapy book called Overcoming Unwanted Intrusive Thoughts by Dr. Winston and Dr. Seif. And um, using that book, I've actually only read the first chapter. I wanted to read the whole book before this episode. So if the book is awesome, I'll do an entire episode just on intrusive thoughts. What I've read so far is very interesting. It says that there are three voices in our heads, the worried voice, the false comfort, and the wise voice. The worried voice is the voice who constantly shames us. Oh, this is going to happen if you don't do this. Oh, you're a terrible mother. Yada, yada, yada. The false comfort is the voice that responds and says, oh no, oh no, you're wrong. No, no, no. I'm a good mom. See, I do this and I do that. Well, what have we been talking about all along? Whatever you resist gets stronger. If you push (laughs) against that voice, you make that voice stronger. So ironically, the false comfort voice is making the worried voice, or I'll call it the shame voice, stronger. Shame voice comes in. No, 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 no. I don't need to be ashamed. Oh, no, no, no. I am a good mother. Oh, no, 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 no. Student debt doesn't define me. No, I'm fucking making that voice stronger. Mm -hmm. So what do I need to do instead? I need to sink back into the wise voice and just observe it. So what I've been doing, the book, I don't know if the book says to do this or not, but this is just from my own teachings from the monk in episode one. When that voice comes up and starts shaming me and telling me all the ways I failed, I say, thank you for sharing. I love you. Thanks for sharing. Because if I try to throw back at it all the facts, why it's wrong, it's just going to get stronger and louder and more intense. So I'm just, I just, when I hear it, I'm just like, thank you. I love you. Thank you. And last night, like the earlier you asked me how my night's sleep was, I woke up at 1 a.m. and I slept in a hotel last night. I very rarely leave my family because I have major abandonment wound stuff and I fear abandoning my family so in my 1am or 2am wake up in the middle of the night I wake up with a slew of thoughts and they're like Eric has this by the way my husband would never do this it was totally ridiculous but my but it was like your husband because he didn't respond to my text before bed that said good night I said I was like Eric has taken the kids. He's changed all the locks on the doors. I'm going to come back oh. tomorrow and no one's going to be there. And oh I had, and, and, and I don't, and you know, I just had this over and over and over again, thoughts like totally illogical thoughts that my family wasn't going to be there when I come back tomorrow. 
And I was like, no, no, that's not true. Eric wouldn't do that. And the voice got longer and louder and louder and louder. And that critic voice was like yelling in my ear. And I swear it was to prepare me for this episode. It's like yelling in my ear. No, Anna, he is going to leave you and he's going to take the kids and he's going to hire a better lawyer and he's going to keep the kids and you're not going to have anything. And it just got so loud. And I'm like, oh my God, my heart's racing. Ridiculous thoughts, right? But if I told that myself, it was ridiculous it was just going to make it stronger. It was just going to make it stronger. Yeah. So I just was like, I'm going to just listen to you. I'm just going to listen to you. And I let that shame voice just go nuts and yell at me and tell me all the ways I was horrible. And I just listened and listened. And then when I was like, who is behind this? Who mm. are you behind there? Where are you coming from? Like, who are you? And I didn't get any answers. But I just started saying, whoever you are, I love you. I love you. Whatever you need, what you need is love and validation. And I'm loving you and I'm validating you. And I'm not going to tell you it's going to be okay. And I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong. I'm just going to tell you, whoever you are, I love you. I just kept saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And it quieted down and I was able to go back to sleep. Uh, That's amazing. Good work. (laughs) Yeah. And she might be back tonight. <laughs> she might be back tonight, right? And I just got to keep loving whoever she is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because she's a part of you that feels not whole. Yeah. Right? She's a whole that feels not whole. So yeah, so for me, I'm in a similar place to Anna when it comes to healing my humiliation. I feel like even in just saying all the stuff I just said, I became more aware of the shit that I do. But what I wanted to talk about is the healing that I did with the Black Lives Matter movement last year and with white guilt, white shame, white privilege. Because having grown up in Atlanta, you live, this is, this is what, this is what me and some people call it is like, there's a pain body that surrounds Atlanta. And this is a, the pain body is a, is a term that comes from the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. It's this basic idea that there is a consciousness, there's a morphogenic field, there's a bunch of different words for it, but there's a, a skin that sits above Atlanta that holds on to all of the pain and suffering of racial inequality that exists in the city. One thing I can say is that I know someone who's recently moved out of the country and moved out. They've lived in Atlanta their whole lives and they've moved out of the country. And they're just like, it's so different because I don't have to live in that field. Like it's a completely different feeling. Like everyone's just happy because they've processed, like the collective had processed all of their stuff, but Atlanta is still in the thick of processing it. And it's still in the thick of all the injustice and the throws and all that different stuff is still going on. And so having grown up with both the economic shame as well as the white shame to the fact where during the Black Lives Matter movement, I was walking down the road and I saw a sticker on the back of um, like, a, like a graffiti sticker and it said, it's okay to be white. And I was like, really? Is it okay to be white? Like, cause I don't feel like it's okay to be white. Like, I don't feel like that. So I was really just feeling this, like wanting to do something, wanting to do whatever, and just feeling so, so guilty for being white and knowing that that wasn't what the conversation was about, knowing that the conversation was not about how guilty I feel about being white. It was about how do we make things better? And like, how do we like, you know, like I recognize that, that like my experience of white guilt was not, was not what the conversation was about. My, it was me. It was about me doing the work to move out of white guilt into a place where I could be an ally and an advocate And I didn't have to like, and I, and I could just constantly be ashamed if I didn't show up in the right way. And I'd be okay with that. Right. Like being uncomfortable was a part of that conversation. Right. And that's what I think, um, I talked with somebody about it during the time and and we're just like, it feels like nothing we can do is right. And we're like, oh shit, that's what we're supposed to do. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. Like we're supposed to feel like nothing we're doing is right. We're supposed to feel uncomfortable in this position because we've never not felt comfortable. Like we've always felt comfortable. And the whole point is for us to move into a space where we're sharing the burden of discomfort so that we can help process it. Anyway, that's the way I approached it. And that's totally fine. If that's wrong, I will take that shame. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? But one of the things that happened last year that I had to do because I felt this burden of like, I felt this pain body and it was encroaching on my aura in the craziest way. Like I just felt so like, I felt like I had this like, 
I felt like I had this, this, these, this voice in the back of my head telling me that I needed to be ashamed for being white. Um, telling me that I needed to pay for my crimes, telling me that I needed to do this. And I think a lot of that was that pain body that sits in Atlanta. Um, I didn't feel it when I lived in Indiana. It was completely out of my mind. Like it just, I, I lived in the country. It didn't, it wasn't even a thing, right? I don't, I feel it a little bit here because I think it's really big and it, I'm just outside of Atlanta. But what I did was I had to go and I had to go and I meditated because I'm like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick. I'm sick of this. Like I'm okay with feeling uncomfortable, but I also don't want to feel like I'm inferior just because of something that I can't even control. Like I don't even think I can control it, right? I can do whatever I can to, to, to negate it and I can do whatever I can to process it and I can do whatever I can to, to help other people who are experiencing this injustice, but I don't want to feel this every day. And so what I did was I basically was like, all right, show yourself. Like, who are you? Who are you, this person who's just in the back of my head being like, you need to be ashamed of your whiteness. And what- Oh, she's the one who was in my head last night. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the same one, right? right. <laughs> it's just like, it's a certainly different thing. And this utterly fucking incredible black goddess comes down from on high. And she's just totally, she's a little bit like Kali or the Black Madonna. Like, that's what I kind of think of her as. Like, like just, just stunning, just absolutely incredible. But also like this representative of this feeling of white guilt and like the, 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 the self-imposed inflictor of white, of white, whatever. And, and I was just like, forgive me for, I, this was what I did at first. I was like, forgive me, forgive me. I'm so sorry for all this. Like, I feel so ashamed for being white. I feel so ashamed for what's happened. I feel so ashamed for what my ancestors inevitably did. And I know that we're all supposed to be one. And I know that in another life I was, I was black. And I know that in another life I was a slave. And I know that in another life, but like none of that matters because in this current incarnation, I'm me. I'm white. I am a, an ancestor of, I'm a daughter of the American revolution. I'm a daughter of the Confederacy and the union. I'm a daughter of all these things. Like my family has 500 fucking years in this country of oppression. And, you know, and she's like, it's not my job to forgive you is what she said. At first she was like listening and she was like, kind of, it was kind of like, um, an experience of like really addressing my shadow that part of my shadow, but also like I was relinquishing all my power to her to forgive me. And she's like, this is, she's like, this is not my job. She's like, my job is not to forgive you. This is the whole thing. My job is not to forgive you. Your job is to forgive yourself because I should not have the burden of having to forgive you. I have my own stuff that I have to forgive. And like, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, if I, I could throw away a forgiveness to say, I forgive you, but really this is all about you. You are imposing your self-hatred and it is your work to do. It is not mine. And I was like, fuck. Okay. My job. Mm -hmm. I have to forgive myself. And it lessened so much. Like it's not gone by any means, but it lessened significantly to have this experience to recognize that the shame is nobody's responsibility, but you to get rid of, right? You have to accept it and forgive it within yourself. And it, and, and to place that burden on somebody else is just, it's just an energetic crush. It's just, it's not responsible. You're not being responsible for your own energy. So yeah. Yeah. I get it. I had to forgive my debt. I had to give, forgive my family. I had to forgive myself. And that burden of, of shame is less, much less, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, in a way that someone just paying off my student debt never would have done. Mm -hmm. So, hey, it's a gift. I have another way I want to just discuss real quick how I've been working on my shame, which was I did a regression, a regression meditation where I went back to understand more about my shame. And I went back and I saw three different lifetimes where I experienced shame. In one, in one I was in a pre-Columbian Mayan community where I accused my aunt of being possessed mm -hmm. and she ended up being publicly executed. And I felt very shameful for that. Yep. In the second one, I experienced seeing my husband sexually assault one of our, mm -hmm. our uh, employees, like a, like a stable girl. And I said nothing, and I lived my life with the shame of that. And in a third one, I was responsible for the death of many people. And in all three of them, there was this understanding that, like, 
hierarchy brings shame. So when I came out of the regression, I called upon Archangel Michael, who is my main guy, my main squeeze. squeeze, squeeze. He's my main (laughs) squeeze. And I was like, okay, Archangel Michael, I saw these memories. I still don't know, like, what am I supposed to do with all this? Mm -hmm. And he says to me, I want you to see this. And he shows me an image of it like a, like like an x and y axis you could say it's a cross you could say it's like the letter t but it was like an x and a y a line going straight down a line going on the on the vertical and a line going straight across on the horizontal and he says to me all human beings are on the horizontal he says every human being exists on the x axis we are all on the same exact plane. And mm-hmm. and shame occurs when you put people above you or below you. If you put them above you, the pendulum's going to swing and eventually you're going to be below. I'm sorry. If you put them below you, the pendulum's eventually going to swing and you're going to be below them. And if you put them above you, you're putting yourself below you. Like anytime you put humans in a hierarchy scale on the y-axis, on the vertical, you're creating a, a, a hierarchy, you're creating a structure where shame is inevitable to follow because you are going to feel inferior eventually, okay? Eventually. That could be an invisible person, like the perfect quintessential mother that doesn't even exist that I've put on the Y. Or let's say your issue is beauty. You know, you put this quintessential beautiful version of you on the Y and then you're below. So anytime you're putting anyone real or unreal above you or below you, you're eventually going to feel inferior. So he's like, no, Anna, everyone is on the X axis. It is the angels and God who are on the Y. They are the only ones above you. But as far as human beings goes, you got the murderer, you got the saint, you're all on the X axis. Some might be to the left of you in some things. Some might be to the right of you, but you're all on the X axis. And if you just pause and breathe that in, we are, it's, it's an energy thing. We are all on the X axis. Like we are all on the X axis. We are all on the horizontal. No one's better than anyone else. No one's worse than anyone else. And there's no perfect version of Anna out there who's better than me. Mm-hmm. Everyone is just here and it's okay. And so one way that I'm using that to deal with my own shame is I'm reminding myself I am on the X axis and so is everyone else. I have a patient who is extremely difficult to work with. And if I am five minutes late, he will yell at me and he will belittle me and he will treat me like crap. And I put up with it because in my hierarchy, he is my patient and I am his servant and I am below him. And I was on my way to work yesterday and I was right on time, but I knew if I was two minutes late, he was going to berate me and I'm driving and I'm like, if he berates me, I'm going to leave. Because I am on the X axis and so is he. I don't need to put myself below him. Yeah. And so that was a big deal for me. So like Archangel Michael sending me that image of the cross of the horizontal and vertical axis and just remembering no one's above me but God and the angels. It's amazing. And like I was judging another person very harshly. Someone did something that hurt my feelings and I was thinking that person shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. All this shame. He shouldn't have done this. Why? Because I was holding him up to an impossible version of the perfect version of himself on the Y axis. Mm-hmm. I was holding him up to the Y axis. He doesn't exist on the Y. He's only on the X. He is only who he is. So yeah. if I can just love and forgive him for being who he is on the X axis, there's no shame. And there's much less suffering. Yeah. That's amazing. So... To wrap up this very long episode. Yeah, but totally worthwhile because it is such such the base. It is such the deep wound. Yeah. Yes. You're going to hear rain in the back now. Um, Because it's pouring. It's it's pouring over here. Um, To wrap it up, we will have in our show notes links to meditations that can help you process and recognize your own shame and guilt. I think the take home message here is insight, which is awareness of it forgiveness loving it don't fight it just love it yep accept it and recognize that by us having this episode and by you listening to it we are giving you access to your humiliation wound and just like the omens you brought us in you brought us in right like if you're listening to this you're ready to hear it right you're ready to do whatever and if you've been listening to all the wounds in a row 
just know that you can set stuff aside, if you know what I mean, because we're giving you access to all five wounds. And for both of us, it's taken us a year to process all of these wounds, right? Like it's taken us, it, 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 this is a lifetime work and I think it will keep coming back around and around and around and around again. Because if you wanna say that the five traumas or the five wounds are the base of so much of our suffering, they're basically big buckets that we can put our suffering into. And if we are slowly emptying the bucket and not filling it up again, and using that as our way to access how to become more um, humble, how to become more grateful, how to become more forgiving, how to become more accepting, then this is how we're choosing. And if you're listening to this, this is also maybe how you're choosing. So if you don't feel like you can deal with humiliation right now, that's okay. Set it aside and say to yourself and to your higher self, I'm going to close this door and I'm going to concentrate on abandonment or something like that. And so then when you're ready to pick it back up again, then you can then listen to this episode again and you can get, regain the access. It's basically like a gateway is what we're giving you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Please visit our shop at www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop where you can find support material in the form of meditations and a workbook for working through all of your wounds. Remember, there are people who love you and you deserve support. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.